Welcome to the Gautrain Talks podcast station, the place to be for all matters related to the Gautrain and how it came to be South Africa's first ever high-speed commuter rail system. In studio today, Independent Advisor and Dispute Resolution Specialist David Marks, who was a member of the Executive Committee of the Gautrain Project Construction and Development Management Team. David, welcome. Let's start with what your role and involvement in the Gautrain Project was. Thank you, uh, Dylan. I was the commercial manager in the provincial support team, uh, amongst others responsible for the management of all disputes on behalf of of the province. I was, uh, of course, part of a very large team of, uh, and had support from a very large team of very competent people, both national, international, comprising lawyers, senior senior advocates, commercial experts, technical experts, both national and international. So quite a lot of people to pull together and have on the same page, I would imagine. That is correct, yes. Let's look now at the nature of some of the disputes experienced on the Gautrain project and just how you approach them. Well, uh, there they were about 15 uh, separate disputes ranging from relatively simple contractual interpretations to, on, on the one hand, to very large multi-billion claims on, on the other hand. And the arguments or the disputes were about the interpretation of contractual specifications and whether contractual specifications were met or not, the interpretation of the respective parties' rights and obligations, who should do what and, 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 and why. And then there were delay and disruption claims and also valuation claims relating to, to variations where the parties couldn't agree as to what the value of extra work uh, would be. Take us through the process of how a dispute arose and was then tabled and what the process was in dealing with that sort of dispute. I can possibly take you through one example, a, a simple ex- example, uh, just to illustrate how the process worked. Uh, firstly, one was just to realize that the parties have agreed up front when they signed the contract how they're going to be dealing with, with disputes because uh, it is quite inevitable that you will have disputes on large multi-billion projects like this. Uh, Typically, an example is the parties disagreed on the contextual requirement to be met uh, for the concessionaire to achieve completion uh, of the works, uh, or let's say a practical completion of the works, where allowing them to run to run the trains. Now, the parties didn't participate that a point is going to be reached where decision has to be taken as to whether the system can be open for trains uh, or not. And the provision in the contract that dealt with that uh, read as follows. The operating commencement date for phase two, that's the beginning of running of, um, of trains, shall not occur unless and until the progress of the development of the system is in all respects in accordance with the development program and project management plan. That's a very long word for the program. Now, uh, the concessionaire's view was that those terms imply that when they are ready to safely run the trains, that they should be given practical completion of the works. The province's interpretation was no. Um, the, the trains can start running when all work is finished in terms of the development program. So the province wanted more, more out of this before trains could start running. Uh, and the interpretation of this provision, of course, had a significant impact on 
both the concessionaire and the commuters out there, because uh, depending on how you view the requirement, the, the, the trains might only have started running six months later than they started, or even longer, a year maybe. Um, so uh, the disagreement emerged in, in early correspondence between the parties. Just an interruption there, when I talk about correspondence, that is quite a very large part of the commercial management of, of a project. In, in the peak times, the province received approximately 400 commercial letters per month, all dealing with contractual issues or, or issues that might have had a contractual impact. So in one of these 400 letters or a number of them, this disagreement started crystallizing. And the concessionaire being worried that they might not be able to open the system when they feel they're ready to open it, then uh, notified a dispute in terms of the agreed uh, dispute resolution procedure and said they want a third party now to determine exactly what does this clause mean. In terms of this process, the province then had a few days to give their response, why they disagree, because in the notification they would say what their case is and why they, they believe their view is correct. Yeah. The, the province would then respond and say, uh, we disagree with you for this and this and this reason. And then in terms of the agreed procedure, the respective CEOs of the parties then have to meet. Uh, that is part of an amicable uh, dispute resolution step where the parties are given opportunity for the CEOs to resolve matters before it goes into a formal dispute. Before you escalate it. That's right, yes. Because it's always better to agree things uh, before you uh, go to the very expensive and onerous process of dispute resolution yes. by third parties. That unfortunately did not succeed. The CEOs met, but they couldn't agree. And the matter was accordingly referred to arbitration. Now, the parties also agreed that arbitration will be administered by the Arbitration Foundation of South Africa, AFSA. And they then, after consultation with the uh, parties, appointed three arbitrators. And uh, then a fairly rigid process followed from there, at the, you know, managed by the arbitrators. And David, just to give, give us a sense of the timelines or the timeframes involved in, 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 in how this process came together and the appointment of the arb arbitration team, etc. Yeah, that is a, a good question because as we also uh, uh, cover down the track, uh, these disputes uh, resolved by means of arbitration are very time consuming. Now, this is a very simple dispute. Both parties agreed it's very urgent. And it took uh, from the date that the concessionaire notified the dispute uh, in terms of the dispute resolution procedure, it took five months uh, for the tribunal to give us their ruling. And that was probably one of the fastest ones. Some of the more complex disputes took five years to resolve from the day the dispute is notified till the day uh, of the ruling. Um, then, yeah, so, so I, I think, uh, as I say, I've picked a very simple uh, dispute. Yes. And, uh, um, and that's how it's resolved. What, uh, what types of dispute resolution mechanisms are then used to resolve these disputes? You mentioned the arbitration process. Take us through what that entailed and how you then arrived at a resolution of sorts. Yes, I've just illustrated to you the arbitration process. 
which uh, was followed in most of, of the disputes in Gauteren because the parties agreed up front that's what they will do. Uh, the preferred method of resolving disputes is, of course, commercial negotiation, where the respective management teams of the concessionaire in the province would sit down and see if they can resolve things. Now, I'm glad to say that in the end, all the disputes ultimately got resolved by means of two large commercial ne uh, negotiations and settlements, but uh, that uh, was only followed quite, quite late in the process. The advantage of, of commercial negotiation is that both management teams are in control of the process. So I can sit across the table with you. We can see if we can come to an agreement. Uh, and I can make a call as to whether I want to agree with you or not and whether I accept your position or not. Um, it is relatively fast and it's relatively uh, low cost uh, commercial negotiation. The disadvantage of commercial negotiation is particularly on large complex projects like uh, the Gautrain is that there's not the time often also not the appetite to delve into the details of the merits of each other's cases. So mm -hmm. I'll come to you and say, man, you owe me a hundred million. Um, and, and you'll ask me, but, but why? And I'll say, no, man, let's, let's negotiate. You know, uh, yeah. let's not waste time going through my claim. That's what often happens in commercial negotiation where parties are posturing, parties are aiming at splitting the difference whilst uh, one party might not have a case at all. So that is one of the disadvantages, of course, of, uh, of commercial negotiation. The other thing is it's in the end difficult for the managers, the management teams, to defend what they've agreed with to their superiors, their boards, uh, or in, in, in uh, or government. Yes. And um, how do you motivate that this was a good deal? You know, if I just sit across the table and I split things 50-50, it, it becomes quite difficult to motivate a deal when mm. a commercial negotiation, but it is certainly uh, preferred. I would imagine, David, that the, the personalities involved obviously have, a, have an impact as well. There's got to be there's got to be a sense of goodwill and, and, and a bit of give and take if you could re resolve um, a dispute where there's two parties involved. That is a crucial point. Um, and and uh, to me, if you ask me one of the, what is one of the critical success factors in, in any form of dispute resolution, it's the, it's the personalities involved. Because those people have to add that, have that leniency that you're speaking about. But at the same time, they can't lose the mandate that they've received from their uh, superiors or yes. their boards. And it is a very difficult uh, position between a rock and a hard place to negotiate with somebody, agree something, but still stay within the mandate of your superiors or your board that might have a irrational view of how strong your case uh, might be or not be. That is certainly a big difference. We've also seen on Gautrain where in cases where certain negotiations were carrying on and by just the change of the teams, uh, the deals were made. So it is an absolute key point that you're elevating there. Then the second uh, uh, process of dispute resolution, if we carry on with the, the, the types of dispute resolution, yes. is adjudication. That is just a simplified way of dispute resolution by a board that's got much less uh, constraints uh, with respect and much more freedom to resolve disputes. It is a board of people that sit with you 
Uh, they live through the project. They visit the project from time to time, so they understand the, the environment and the project, and they are, in theory, capable of intervening and giving rulings much sooner and on a much cheaper basis uh, than, than arbitrators that are totally alien to the project and dependent on the claimant and the defendant to tell them what, what, what the case is about. I mean, that must come with its own challenges. If There must be the danger of getting too close to a, to a project to be completely impartial, would you say? Absolutely, yes. And uh, it, it, uh, those adjudicators have to conduct themselves very carefully, uh, always make sure that they, whatever they do, it's in the presence of both parties, whatever they write or ask or respond to is in the presence of both parties. But the type of adjudicators that we had uh, are, are very good, very experienced, and, and that was not, not a problem. What is often a problem with adjudication is because there's a tendency to do, to do these uh, determinations quite quick, uh, on complex disputes, there, there's not opportunity to really delve through the intricate details of a dispute, and, 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 and that is often needed to get a fair and a just outcome. And to avoid having an aggrieved party, I would imagine, as well. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. You, you, you always have a – the loser is often always uh, aggrieved. <laughs> yes. But uh, I, I agree with you uh, that the risk of, of a non-acceptance of an award or an opportunity to look for overturning of the award uh, significantly increases if a party believes that they have not been treated fairly or not have had a chance to fully traverse the details of their case. We've spoken about arbitration, and then in a few instances, we also used the courts. Um, the, the, the advantage of, of court is that um, you have a final decision. Uh, it Unfortunately, on, on the con side, um, also takes quite a while to get a court date. The courts are not 100% geared for construction law type of cases, um, because these cases typically take months of hearing to have resolved because of all the intricate details that you have to traverse. So um, uh, the courts are also slow, also relatively expensive. Uh, another problem with the courts uh, compared to arbitration is that you can't choose your judge. And the choice of a judge is key in, in having an expeditious uh, uh, resolution of the dispute. Yes. You, in the UK, they have judges that specialize in construction law and all construction cases are forwarded to them and they know how to direct a case. They've got the confidence to direct a case. They've got the confidence to know what to ask and to expedite things, which uh, uh, our South African legal system hasn't developed to that extent. Mm. So that's broadly the different uh, ways of, of dispute resolution. The best, the best of all is, of course, to try and avoid disputes. Now, uh, In an ideal world. Yes, but I think on a large project like Gautrain, you must accept that disputes are inevitable. Then, you know, the, it was just a 25 billion rand project. Uh, some of the disputes uh, were in the order of 10 billion rand. So with those large numbers, it does not happen very easily if people just walk away from potential to recover money from the other party if they believe they're entitled to do so. David, but, yeah. Sorry, I, I would imagine one of the challenges in dealing with dispute resolution on a construction project is the, the impact a delay can have on the actual construction and the development project because if you're taking a few months to get something through the courts, can that not have the potential to to hold up the actual project itself? Yes, yes. And, and uh, the... 
the problem with a dispute resolution procedure like arbitration or the courts, lesser so on, on adjudication, is that it consumes management time. So the guys that should be looking at getting the concrete in the right place or getting things done or approvals done, they engaged in compiling witness statements or in preparing for court. And that's the wrong application. It's a misguided application of management time. So you're quite right. That is a, that is a big issue. That's why, in theory, adjudication is, is a good idea because it effectively uh, quickly deals with the dispute. And there's always an opportunity for an aggrieved party when the project is finished or when there's uh, management time is freed up to then take the matter to arbitration. Uh, so it, it is generally all these disputes are very time consuming and, and, and very expensive. But on the other hand, you often have to fight a little before you can settle. Because if we sit across a table, you believe you're right, I believe I'm right, we don't engage uh, through a dispute resolution procedure where I can see what the weaknesses in your and my case is, I can see what the strengths in your and my case is. Uh, it's only at that time where I really can become more reasonable and where I can really sit down and, uh, and, and settle something. But uh, for as long as one party's views or positions are not tested, through a some form of dispute resolution procedure, mm. they, uh, that party often thinks or is, is, is not a good negotiation partner because their expectations, the gap in expectation between the parties are, are far too high. David, if you look back at the 15 or so main disputes you, you, you touched on uh, with regards to the Gautrain project, if you look back at how they were handled, what are your overall thoughts about those 15 major, major disputes? Look, they were 15 too many, but uh, let, let's accept that, that they, we had to go through them. Uh, the, the, the lessons uh, learned are, of course, of course uh, vast. Um, the, the first step, I would say, is that you must do what you can to avoid a dispute. And you do that by proper risk identification during the inception phases of the project. And keeping your view of risk alive and keep it updated as the project proceeds because it's the risks, the things that can go wrong that often cause it, causes the, the disputes. And it's good for parties to identify risks and agree, guys, this, these are the risks. If things go wrong, who's going to pick up the tab? And you agree that up front. And I would say that's one way of, of, of minimizing the, the disputes. The, the other uh, mitigating uh, action would be to really come with clear and unambiguous contracts. And um, that is an age-old problem. It often becomes a bigger problem if you negotiate and you have to make last-minute changes because of negotiations. Because last-minute changes, again, are inevitable. But uh, you are very prone to make mistakes in that you don't think through everything and that uh, the result might be contradictions in your contract. I can give an example of, a, of this. Uh, to just give you an idea, the contract, the Gautrain concession contract, comprises in the order of 60,000 pages. So for me, I'm a slow reader. <laughs> to read through that contract will take me a number of months. 
not even to talk about, understand it or remember it. So it is a massive undertaking, a massive number of pages. And the concession agreement itself is about 250 of the 60,000 pages. And we had a number of disputes where one word in your or a phrase in your concession agreement of 200 or let's say 400 or 500 pages, one phrase has been contradicted by another phrase on page 55,240. And that in itself then becomes a, a dispute. So uh, that just illustrates to you, if you in the last minute make certain changes to one page in the 60,000-page document, um, there's a higher risk that it might be contradicted with other pages in this document. And the lawyers will tell you that one page is not more important than another page because the parties have signed all 60,000 pages. So that is uh, quite a, a big thing to watch out for. Uh, when you do last-minute changes, you must do so very, very, very carefully. And you must accept that there's a big uh, risk of, of you things getting things wrong in the contract. Uh, lastly, then, uh, how to avoid disputes is, is early management intervention. When things start going wrong, and they will, you must uh, sooner rather than later elevate matters so that management can engage. And again, the point, Dylan, you made earlier about personality is also quite important. You need managers and management on both sides of the equation who develop a, a, a trusting relationship and it can deal with these big ticket items. Often in multinational setups like we've had, that is, that is quite difficult. Um, then another thing, so, so firstly, we've learned that try and avoid things as far as you possibly can, yes. but you can't. So the next step then is if you can't avoid disputes, make sure that as the project evolves that you diligently keep record of everything that happens. I've been advised by a very wise uh, senior counsel that the, in his experience, the party best capable of keeping track and managing and generating its data and its evidence is in the best position to ultimately win a dispute. There's often a a hope that clever lawyers are going to argue yourself out of trouble. Uh, often that doesn't help. It's the facts of the case that you win or lose on. Uh, then um, the another thing we've learnt, I would say, is that there are limited windows of opportunity to, to settle. So the parties would be engaging in arbitration, etc. And what you don't realize is that the witnesses that you intend to employ in making your case are getting older, some of them die, some of them forget, and the longer you wait to, with your case, the more difficult it might be to prove it at the end. So the question is how long do you hold out uh, uh, before you think it's maybe a better idea to start considering to settle a, a specific dispute? Again, the human aspect coming back into it, yes. Absolutely. Some people resign. Uh, and they're gone. Uh, you can't get this, this person that's now working in Dubai, you know, to come and, uh, you know, to take leave and to come and argue your cases as one of your witnesses. Mm. Other things happen. The economy, for example, you know, sometimes uh, uh, large contracting companies are, 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 uh, go through very difficult times and, and that they just can't stomach any bad news. So they they're not able to agree anything because any agreement might just uh, be bad news to the shareholder market. 
uh, or they might be there might be asset disposals, and and the person buying a new company don't want a uh, the company and the project don't want a project with all sorts of uncertainties and risks. And then suddenly there's an incentive from the contractor side to to sit down and settle, which otherwise wouldn't have been there. So mm. one must look out for those for for those windows of opportunity that are varying, and also the the negotiation teams that you spoke about earlier. You know, the right person might be available to now talk with whilst that person might retire or go away and then suddenly you have to sit and negotiate with a new person. So rather do the settlement now than wait for six months or whatever. So there are the windows of opportunity that are also important. And then the point that, we, that you've uh, pointed out earlier is the selection of your ne- negotiation teams, absolutely uh, crucial. Um, and then there's a sort of a saying that I have uh, subsequently um, decided I fully agree with, and that is that any settlement is better than a bad award. Yes. You spoke about the, the aggrieved parties. There's always an aggrieved party in, in, a, in, 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 a, in an award or in a formal arbitration. But when you sit down and you settle, both parties feel that are, are the owners of that settlement. Both are equally unhappy. But they have uh, been in charge of their own destiny. They have made the deal and they live with, with the consequences. They always wonder what would have happened if this went, thing went the, the, the full way. But uh, uh, I fully believe any settlement is better than a, than a bad award. Um, I think in broad, uh, those are the, um, the, uh, the broad lessons learned, I would say, uh, from it. The, the other thing which is quite important, uh, list lastly in closing, uh, as far as the lessons learned are, are concerned, Dylan, is that you can have, I mean, we've had a, a really a world-class uh, team working on this project, but if you don't have project leaders with capacity, experience, knowledge, and leadership abilities, then none of this will will work. None of these lessons learned can be employed. You, you need uh, strong clients like Mr. Jack van der Merwe, who was the overall leader, Mr. William Dax, he was the guy who, 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 who was the main negotiator who settled all these disputes. You need that sort of thing, uh, that sort of person in your team. Otherwise, uh, the rest of the team can't do a thing. You, you, have, you need very good government officials with capacity to unlock the skills of the private sector. You can't supplement government with private sector skills uh, and think the problem goes away. You need strong capacity in government. David, thank you for your time and input. You've been listening to Independent Advisor and Dispute Resolution Specialist David Marks, who was a member of the Executive Committee of the Gautran Project Construction and development and management team to listen to this and other interviews about the Gautrain. Please tune into our podcasts at Gautrain Talk Station. You can also access further material on our website, www.gautrain.co.za, or follow us on Twitter.